21CL Radio. You're listening to the Run Your Life podcast with host Andy Vassar. Hello, everybody. Welcome to my Run Your Life podcast series. Uh, in today's episode, uh, I've got a researcher and uh, educator that I connected with, I think, probably a year ago now on Twitter. Um, we've had some, some really good discussions, and uh, I really uh, like the work that he does. Uh, and this is why I invited him on my show. His name is Dr. Craig Harrison, and he's from AUT Millennium in New Zealand, correct, Craig? Yeah, that's right, Andy. Okay. So, um, again, Craig, I, I've given you kind of a, a general idea of what my podcast is about, but in short, it's all about uh, sharing stories of people in education and beyond who who's take initiative and action to strive for personal and professional excellence. And I've seen your presence on Twitter and, I, and that's why I reached out to you last year, because I was really interested in your work. Um, so that's why I invited you on my show. So why don't you just tell everybody uh, a little bit about yourself and maybe a little more about AUT Millennium. Sure. Thank, thank you very much for having me on the show. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here. Uh, my role is Director of Athlete Development at, here at AUT Millennium. Uh, a little bit of background on the facility. Uh, we started out as a, as a community sport facility. Uh, about 10, 10 12, 12 years ago, and that, that, but what that's morphed into is is a mix of community and high performance sport and and an AUT university. So, so the university itself uh, came on board uh, about six years ago. Now, uh, this is now a campus of AUT facility. Craig, AUT Craig, just let me interrupt you there. What what is AUT? What's what does it stand for? Right. So AUT is Auckland University of Technology okay. University. You're here in Auckland. So we're based on the North Shore. And like I said, the facility is a mix of high-performance sport and community and research. So we have here High-Performance Sport New Zealand, who look after all of our, our elite performers. Uh, we also have a number of community projects, uh, a big swim school, a, a big gym, a big uh, lodge operation, and a lot of conferencing that goes on out of the facility. And that too is combined with AUT University, who now bases their sports science program, mainly the postgraduate program, out of the facility. So there's a number of researchers based here uh, looking into strength and conditioning, biomechanics, uh, but also the psychology, skill acquisition, a number of different fields within the sports sciences uh, from both high performance, but, but right down into into athlete development and community sport. And this is, um, again, uh, obviously a, a lot of the audience uh, listening to this are physical educators and, and researchers from different places around the world. Um, and sometimes there's an obvious misconception with what, what physical education is. And um, some people believe that it is uh, it heavily involves only a sport focus. So despite the fact that your expertise lies in, in you know, skill development and sport development. Uh, you bring a certain perspective with you to um, movement and sport and physical activity in general. So physical education is not necessarily just about sport, in your opinion, is it? No, no not at all. And, and a big part of our program is, is actually developing, uh, for lack of a better word, physical literacy uh, so so every sport has fundamental movement underpinnings uh, but not, not only physical but also so psychological and social underpinnings so so our job is to figure out where we need to start uh, to teach those processes uh, th that methodology so that we can equip our athletes when I say athletes I'm talking about young people that are enjoying their time in sport and looking to maximize the potential they have uh, that may not be to go on and, and be an elite athlete 
all sportsmen, but it may just to be to enjoy their time as a as a sports person uh, wherever that may lead. Um, so we're looking at at searching for for what those fundamentals are and making sure that we're ticking the boxes that allow that individual. And typically, they come into our programs between the ages of eight and ten, uh, where they're still very much finding their way in sport and, and for most of them are going to come out the other end as participators in, in sport or, or physical activity is, is actually more likely the case when when they actually exit a number of the sports and so not only are we trying to optimise the potential they have within sport but make sure that they, they learn the important lessons along the way so that they are lifelong participators in, in, in physical activity and, in a, and have a good well-being. So that's the key here is that they're lifelong participators in physical activity. Um, and I think I, I want to delve into that in, in regards to relevance and meaning um, in regards to the physical education experience. So um, I'm connected with a, a number of researchers um, in particular that uh, really challenge me to think in new ways. But there's one researcher in particular, or actually a, couple, a few researchers, uh, that have really uh, inspired me to learn as much as I can about finding more meaning and relevance in the physical education experience. And this is what I have been uh, bringing to schools and workshops and speaking about over the past few years. But um, oftentimes the, the PE curriculums in which uh, teachers uh, deliver learning, they're um, oftentimes... I question how meaningful and relevant these programs actually are, if they are actually uh, preparing students to embrace being physically active for life. So what are your general thoughts about where PE curriculums are at currently and whether or not they are, are meeting, uh, the or meeting or addressing the, the true relevant needs of young learners today? What I, what I can what I can talk to is is my experience around the type of of young person that is engaging in our programs and and so for all those people and you know for those that know much about New Zealand it's a it's a very uh, lively sporting culture so so we love our sport and we do have decent activity participation levels compared to a lot of other other countries around the world but that said uh, it's still important for us to make sure that they are getting out of sport and physical activity what in, what indeed is going to, to help them out moving forward in, into a into a lifelong passion to stay engaged and and what we know now is is that we're getting athletes that are, are less physically literate uh, when coming into our programs so we talk about fundamental skill development and, and they underpin all of all of our sports-specific skills, and so without them, it's very hard to layer on top the intricacies that are, uh, you know, specific to to a sport that that we're essentially trying to increase performance in. Um, and so, you know, I started in this program what, six and a half years ago now, and even in that time, we're seeing eight and nine-year-olds coming through that that don't have the movement skills that they once did. So we're having to regress our our programs to actually, you know, cater for those needs first. Uh, which, you know, it's a, it's an interesting debate, and, and you can you can sit on many you know either sides of a fence on this one. But whose responsibility is is it for that those types of things um, to get established in the in you know those first ten years of life? Uh, and it, it used to, you know, I think my opinion it used to be looked after in a couple of ways kind of the backyard sort of approach to kicking around as a young person and we're starting to lose that uh, through through a number of different lifestyle changes uh, but also PE programs so in terms of uh, primary school PE over here it's changed kids aren't doing as much of it anymore and also that the teachers themselves aren't engaged in necessarily doing it themselves as much which, which makes teaching it harder. Uh, and so the, the, the schools that are lucky enough to have specialist PE teachers still have programs that we can look at and um, are doing an okay job. 
the, the schools that don't basically just pick a, a sport out of the box and go out there and and actually do the sport, but but it's not addressing the the physical movement skills that that are required in order to to not only transition to a sporting pathway, but but also to have you know those those abilities and skills that you need to to enjoy sport. Uh, sorry, to enjoy physical activity yeah. for for the rest of your time. Now, a couple things come to mind, and and this is what I I like to. I want to say challenge. Well, I guess I yeah. I like to challenge teachers on this and researchers on this. So, a couple things come to mind with what you're describing uh, and what you've just uh, discussed. But I, I was a, a high level um, competitive athlete in two two sports growing up: golf and American football. Two very different sports, right? Uh, one very intrinsic and internally focused and, and that sense of calm and focus that you have to have playing golf. And whereas uh, American football is obviously a team sport, it's, it's very aggressive, it's a different kind of mindset. Growing up, when I reflect back on, on uh, my, my PE experience, I can say with 100% certainty that the PE programs that, that I was a student in did not prepare me to be a competitive golfer and competitive American football player. I embraced those sports because I fell in love with them at an early age. I was inspired. I was emotionally hooked through television, through you know magazines, through uh, watching um, sport documentaries, and that inspired me to go out, put a golf club in my hands, and start learning how to hit a golf ball. Uh, I had a little bit of coaching in golf, but but generally, I didn't learn to hit a golf ball from PE. I didn't learn. I was a quarterback and a punter. I did not learn. How, my PE teacher did not teach me how to throw a football. I taught myself how to throw a football because I always had it in my hands and I was always throwing <laughs> and kicking it. So I fell in love For with sure. the sport. So I think the I guess I, I bring that up because when I when I look at PE programs now, a do we necessarily have the, the adequate time to to work on developing these skills? And B, is that what should be the focus? Or should we get kids to, to be inspired and emotionally hooked and then ultimately take action on what they've learned in PE and then uh, take action outside of PE to um, not teach themselves but to explore the skills necessary uh, of the sports that they have um, found themselves hooked on, you know. So if a kid loves uh, soccer, that he's going to go, he or she will go outside, and then they'll just intrin- have intrinsic motivation to practice and play games and get kids together and, and all of that. So, what are your thoughts in regards to that? Look, I I agree. I think um, in terms of sport, uh, that that's a that's a context. For people to to express themselves, and we don't necessarily wanting want to be, you know, filling our, our physical rigid time with with, you know, putting that in front of people. I think what you can do is um, you can you can sometimes use sports in order to to develop particular skills and, and movement qualities, but you have to understand the purpose of of what you're trying to achieve, and and rather than sport specific skills, then we can link particular activities back to, you know, the, the concepts and and the skills that are going to be much more transferable across all these different contexts. So not only sport, but but the ability to go out there, uh, you know, into the outdoors and to to just enjoy what you're doing because you have the the physical literacy in order to to be successful at that and and that's uh you know not successful in terms of comparing yourself to the best but successful in terms of uh you're actually you're doing something that is intrinsically enjoyable uh, because the skills are in the toolbox that allows you to actually complete the task Um, and without without getting injured without getting sore without getting demotivated um, and all of these types of things so I think it is. It is. It's figuring out um, what we can do 
within the within the, the PE curriculum to allow people then to take all of those fundamental skills and apply them to whatever context they choose based on, like you said, where their mates might be playing or the opportunities that their parents may have because of the, the groups that they hang out in or, or because of the experiences and, and and the past that they actually went through. And that's very much, I mean, we, we see that in the research in terms of this, how athletes actually fall into the particular sports that they end up pursuing. And a lot of the time it's opportunities through what their parents uh, are exposed to or have been exposed to uh, in, in their upbringing um, or the circles that they hang out in. Um, so without that, though, you end up with kids that are delving into these particular sports without um, without having the fundamental skills that will allow them to, to you know, primarily enjoy it, but, but, but secondly go on to reach the potential that, that they may or may not have. So that's really the, the key for us is, it, is understanding exactly what exactly what these fundamental fundamentals are across the physical social and psychological uh, realm of, of of sport and then going okay we we'll need we need to fill you know to make sure that the, the kids are getting exposed to all of these things so they can so they can then go on and, and you know enjoy and be successful in, in the particular and things I, they're doing. Yeah, and, and what I hear you say is uh, of equal importance, you, you mentioned three domains, physical, psychological, and social. And I think oftentimes there's too, too much of an emphasis on the physical and the psychological, social, emotional uh, does not become a part of the experience. I think a lot of teachers strive to embed um, or address those domains in, in their teaching, but not enough. So if you had to, what questions should teachers be asking themselves when reflecting on their own programs and the quality, uh, the, whether or not they're delivering a quality experience? So what questions should teachers be asking themselves and what kinds of discussions should they be having within the profession itself? Yeah, great, great question. We talk about this within our program and the, and the reason it's so important for us is because the end game, so to speak, is not definitive. Um, whereas in high performance sport, it is. Uh, it's it's basically winning on the world stage. Um, and, and the reality is that in high performance sport, that's the way that you're measured. Uh, that 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 is what it's about. Uh, I mean, every high performance program, you know, will we'll put that up in lights as as their main objective is is to win. Uh, but but that's not what athlete development, youth athlete development, is about or should be about. And so we need to ask ourselves a different question. And and that question is, what is what does a 17-year-old look like? Because that's typically where they exit our, our system and, and move into the next, whether that's continuation of sport or whether that's coming to the end of their, their high school years and, and going into either club or you know, social environments. So we ask, we ask the question, what does that athlete look like in the different domains that we've mentioned? So physical, psychological, and social. Um, and then we list all of those things. So we want our, you know, from a physical point of view, we want our athlete to be able to have the have good mobility, to be able to have fundamental movement skills, to then to be able to have, um, you know, general elements of strength uh, across the board, um, so that they can then go express themselves when the specifics of a particular sport are called on uh, we need them to and then moving into psychological we need them to to be resilient we need them to to actually understand what they what's happening emotionally to be able to recognize that and then to be able to start uh, into implementing particular tools based on now Craig I just want to some, some, some I, I, sorry, sorry to interrupt but when you talk about resilience, we're talking emotional resilience and physical resilience, right? Yeah, and, and both 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 important for us. I mean, physical resilience is one of the, is actually one of the key determinants of uh, of, the, of the talent ID program. So, so athletes that go on to be successful at the higher level are typically athletes that don't get injured as much. Um, and we've got a number of different cases over here. There's a couple of our top netballers that uh, have been able to stay at the top for a long time and one of the things that they have that other athletes 
don't is just this incredible physical resilience. And that comes through huge amounts of work ethic, doing, you know, dotting the I's and crossing the T's to make sure they do everything. But but it's also a bit of luck, um, you know, not not finding themselves in the position where they land awkwardly and do an ACL, uh, uh, sometimes can just happen regardless of, of how well prepared you are. Um, but that too, they, they have the particular structures within their, their physiology that allow them to to withstand injury um, so that's that's really important but but emotionally it's it's the ability to to face a setback and know what to do about it uh, rather than it just kind of their, their worlds falling down around them um, right. and you have to teach that and you and you have to implement it over a long with a long-term strategy and then one of the big learnings that that we have come across over the last few years is is this idea that you know a 16 or a 17 year old athlete has to be was not mentally tough and so we often get asked on oh, you know what can you what can we do to help this athlete become mentally tough uh, the problem is it's, it's always a short-term objective so it might be well I've got a, a, a tournament in six weeks time we need to create some mental toughness in our athletes the problem with that is it's, it's like going you know, to a golf coach and saying, I've, um, I've got this really important tournament in six weeks' times, but I've done no skill um, acquisition within the game, and, and so can you teach me how to, how to achieve it at a, at a high level? And it's just ridiculous. So, yeah. so we need to understand that mental resilience and these psychological skills are, are learned. And they're all, but they're also there's a particular pathway that you need to actually approach them in. Um, but and, it's, it, and has to be, it has to be. It has to be. It has to be a part of the the culture that's created over the long term. So, <clears throat> I I told you the other day when we were talking in preparation for uh, this podcast, I told you about um, my my last podcast with the uh, beach volleyball player Conrad Lineman from from Canada. He was an Olympic uh, Olympian. He played on the nas- at the national level for 14 years, and he he mentioned certain. He's got a pretty cool experience because he's six foot three he calls himself a late bloomer he um, literally sat on the bench for most of high school um, so he didn't really get any court time grade 9 10 and 11 a little bit of court time in grade, grade 11 but he was coached and mentored by uh, a, a person who's considered to be the best high school volleyball coach in Canadian history and despite the fact that he didn't get any court time, so he essentially goes from being a bench warmer to an Olympian because of three things, okay? And I think these three things that he, he mentioned are applicable to our lives as educators and to our students' lives um, every day as they go through school. And he attributes his success to, to being inspired, being mentored, and surrounding himself with greatness. And those are choices that he made, even as a student. He made the choice to seek inspiration. He allowed himself to be mentored by by somebody, and he sought out mentors in his life, and he chose to surround himself with greatness. And these are things he took action on. And every single one of the guests that I've had on my show exhibit and demonstrate those three things in their lives. So what you're, you're saying to me is, or what I hear you saying is it's these, these um, setting up our learning environments to have important discussions about mindset and over the long haul being consistent to that vision, you know, that it, it, our, our pursuit of excellence is deeply rooted in discussions about uh, mindset and, and being mentored and surrounding yourself with greatness, but also having to learn these skills over the long haul. Absolutely, yeah. There's there's definitely a it's a it's a long term process around some of these things, and it's connecting the dots, and not only connecting the dots as for ourselves as educators, but but for our students and for our athletes. Uh, so so creating um, purpose to what they're doing and, and making sure it's personal, uh, so that they and we always we with our athletes one of the biggest things we work on is 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 the idea of getting them to ask why. Uh, and it's one of the hardest things that we face because they, a lot of the time they're coming out of environments where they've just been told essentially what to do. So, you know, here's the task, 
um, just go about it and, and, and get it done. And, and so what we're finding is, is in order for them to be successful athletes and they have to learn about themselves, they have to learn about their sport and they have to be critical in the way that they think um, and always ask the, ask, you know, ask the question why. Um, and, and once we start getting athletes that ask, you know, ask questions around why they've been given certain exercises in the gym or why they're being asked to, to complete you know, particular reflection sort of templates, then we know that we're winning uh, because they're, they're, they're on to that, you know, that pursuit of excellence pathway. Um, and, and then we, once we get you know, the first box ticks, then we know that we can progress them to the next and the next and the next. But it's understanding what – and pathway is, is not probably the best word because it implies you know, a linear progression, which yeah. we know – Within adolescence and youth, it's just not the case. They're gonna, they're gonna go up and down and, and roundabouts all the time. So it's, it's appreciating that that's going to happen, but at the same time, it's um, is is understanding that there are there are building blocks for all of these components, um, and you've got to understand what those are and make sure that they're they're fully Im- implemented within your programs, and then building on those blocks, you know, step by step to make sure that we're we're giving the athletes the, the opportunity to actually, you know, learn and improve in the ways that they need to, to, to go on. So your program sounds like it's a supplemental program. So the kids are coming to you for extra support. Yeah, that's, that's essentially, we, I mean, we, we work across a number of different programs. Uh, we have, so they come to us for, for support, uh, but then we also, some of our coaches will, will integrate themselves into other programs, into academy groups that are working within schools, uh, and that's um, the same same sort of objectives, but it's just the environment's a little bit different. So let's rewind now, and let's go back to the discussion about teachers in physical education programs, right? So what can they do in their programs to um, better prepare students? So what about the students, the, the majority of students that will not go to supplemental programs such as yours? So, sure. so what can teachers do to um, create that enriched learning environment that addresses the relevant needs of young people? Well, the question I would ask is, um, what's the end game? You know, what, what are you trying to achieve once, once, once your students leave? Um, in terms of lifelong physical engagement, and then and then really having a, a good think about those individual skills and abilities that will allow them to achieve that, um, and then working backwards from there and going, well, how am I implementing things into my program that are that are going to teach these things, and where do they start? Where, what are the fundamentals? What are the first steps that I need to take in order to to allow these things to happen? Um, so it's coming from bottom up where you, where you get deep, dig really deep into the fundamentals and then go, okay, well, now I can now I can decide on the context. So once I understand that, I'm trying to develop uh, you know, some fundamental movement skills and I've got a program that is going to explain to the student the why. So do that through some sort of planning, goal-setting program where, where they can have some some input into, into why they're doing something and how that's going to affect them personally. Uh, and then going, okay, well, if these, are the, if these are the key things that we're trying to teach, then maybe I use volleyball or maybe I use American football or maybe I use whatever the case may be in order to get these things done. Uh, and to, to give you an example, we, um, I recently went, went into a school and, and we started out as uh, supporting their athlete development program. So that was a, a particular program where, where their athletes were taken aside, so out of PE programs uh, and put into a particular athlete development program that was, that was more specific to their needs as, as athletes that are wanting to pursue their particular sport. Uh, and so, so we did a lot of work in that area. And then, and then the, the sort of the PE team came to us and said, okay, well, these these things that you're teaching at, at years nine and ten level, uh, 
so what that's 13, 14 year olds over here seem to be hugely applicable to general population within our physical edu- education programs, which they are, right? Because we, a lot of our athletes don't get the fundamentals within their PE until they come and um, do them in, in a sport program. And so we're taking them right back to the level that is that is quite applicable to, to the wider population. Um, so so they're learning you know, how to move properly, really, and, and, and teaching their muscles to to have the mobility and the strength and the, and the flexibility just to achieve, uh, you know, movements of everyday life that, yeah. that you're going to need to be, to, to, to live a life where without pain and to be able to do the daily tasks of living um, without any, without any trouble. Um, and so, so those programs start, the P programs start picking up. Okay. Well, these, instead of, just going straight into say a badminton or a or a volleyball um, sort of sport or teaching through the sport we, we said okay what are the things that we need to introduce and, and to allow the sport to be the context and to teach them these skills that can then be applied right across a number of yeah. different contexts um, and so we started including some of the fundamental mobility work that we were doing uh, within the athlete development program, um, but in a way that was engaging, fun, gave them good reasons to move. Yeah. So it wasn't it wasn't you know teaching them that or, or asking them to do things that were very much sort of sport ingrained. Um, it was just this is this is stuff that that you go to and enjoy because of the intrinsic factor that it brings um, and it was really successful you know we had a, and, and the P team really really got into it um, they loved it and now they've now rolled it out you know right across the PE program using some of these things that allow them to, Give, to get a lot now I want you to delve into that um a little deeper, so uh, give me some specific examples of thing the the uh, I guess the skills or concepts on a broad level that the PE teachers began to focus on. So, as I hear you, uh, as I listen to you describe uh, a net games unit or badminton, whatever, as the context, then in my mind, it would be uh, the, the the skills of uh, agility. You know, the the fundamental skill of agility. So give me some some broad range concepts that that you had them work on when engineering fun and creating uh, or creating fun and engaging moments in PE. Sure, sure. There's probably there's probably a couple of things that I can address. The, the first one is is around what is fitness. Uh, so so traditionally fitness is looked at or, or understood as cardiovascular fitness, which we know is is important, uh, uh, you know, for for general well-being. So there's a certain level of fitness that you need uh, to, to to actually achieve the, the tasks of everyday life without it being a struggle. Um, unfortunately, we're now in a situation where uh, our, our kids are coming into programs where if you just ask them to actually engage in running or mainly running, where the goal is to improve cardiovascular system. That comes with an expectation that they've got some movement, fundamental movement skill as well. So to give to give you some more specificity around that, when you're out there running, every time every time you land essentially on a single leg, then then you're putting pressure through the joints uh, right throughout your body. Um, and there's a particular way that the body needs to actually work to make sure that's a safe position to be in so your core needs to engage your your glutes need to work the upper body really needs to be quite quite well uh, in terms of posture it needs to be holding the right position otherwise we start damaging our joints and so if we're putting young people out there and asking them to do X amount of K's because we're doing cross country as part of our PE program and we've got young people that actually aren't moving very well in the first place, then um, we may be able to, 
to establish some very short-term gains in cardiovascular fitness. But if they keep doing that, uh, they're going to break at some point. And all you have to do is look into the amount of running injuries that you get with um, with sort of adults when they decide that they're going to run a marathon. Um, and, the, and the reason that they break all the time is because um, they don't have the right or the correct biomechanics to handle all of the load that they're putting into their bodies in the training that's required to complete a marathon. Um, so that would be the first thing. It's, it's understanding what good movement looks like and making sure that you're actually establishing that first before you think about putting any sort of load into the body. Um, and, and so, so to, to delve into that a little bit, a little bit more specific. So the other area that we that we worked with this PE program with was basically, uh, and it was through developing a, a comprehensive warm up, and we looked at the different things that that we knew we, we were trying to to achieve from on a fundamental level to, to allow the, the the students sorry to then go and and to transfer some of the knowledge that they had that that gained through the warm up that we that we'd used into into the particular sporting context that, that, that this current school's current was using. And so some of those things um, were, they, and when they were looking at volleyball, we wanted them to understand that in order to pass properly, you have to get into the right position. Um, so, so, and if we look at that specifically, it's, it's a squatting position. So you have to be able to get into that position. You need the mobility for that position. And then you have to move through the right range using the right coordination and muscle firing patterns in order to allow you to be successful at, at, a, at a volleyball pass. Um, and so the warm-up allowed us to, through an engaging and quite a chaotic type approach, was to, to use balls, uh, to use a number of different competitions that we engaged with to allow the athletes to, sorry, this, I always call them athletes, I'm, it's, sorry, it's in great, okay. but the, the, the students to, um, to actually learn some of these movements, uh, but, but the key to what we were doing was, was to do, was to use quality, uh, so it's easy to ask, you know, a kid to squat or to lunge, they typically know what those things are, um, but it's, it's a different thing to get them to do it with good movement skill, um, so what we've, what we've, learned and what we know through our research is there's a particular constraints-based learning theory that if we use particular tools that that constrain the environment, the learning environment um, in terms of skill acquisition, then we can get uh, young people into the right position without having to resource the learning environment too heavily. So by that I mean with a lot of coaches uh, giving a lot of feedback um, because we know that most, most PE uh, teachers or their environments involve, you know, 20, 30 kids with one teacher. Um, so you need to set up the environment to basically allow the individual to to self-learn through through what we call self-organisation. So we did things like, um, in order to to lunge properly, we got them onto a line. So we got them, so we got some good alignment through through their body and through their, through different joints, and then asked them to to do things like try and push their hands through the roof um, as they lunge back with one leg and try and touch a line that, that they're balancing on at the same time. So that, so then, and these things are done because we understand that there's particular ways of moving. There's, you know, so, so the thoracic and the lumbar joints of the body have to actually work in a way that's going to allow them to handle load and, and not put them at risk of injury um, or, or chronic injury over time. So we use these constraints-based um, models. And, and, and an easy one to understand is basically if you're trying to teach someone how to squat properly, then then you can use a chair. Um, so they're actually sitting down onto the chair. Or you can, you can use a wall. Um, so they're having to sit down against a wall. Or you can just put a little uh, TheraBand around their legs. Uh, so when they're squatting, they actually have to provide some pressure against the band which activates their glutes and, and gets them into a position where um, their knees are not falling inwards, uh, which which we know if we if we continue to have young people that are moving in, in ways where, they, where their, their glutes aren't working and their knees are, are uh, rotate or their, their hips are rotating internally, then at some point they're going to get injured. Um, and so we need to fix these things and get their muscles firing and, and using the right patterns at, at younger ages and we know you know from our research that 
that the neural system is most plastic, plastic up to the ages of about nine and ten. So it's actually you know through the ages of six to nine where these this movement and skill acquisition is is most crucial, um, which is it's just not happening. Um, and so they may be out there hopping and running and jumping, but the quality of those movements is actually really quite poor. Um, so it's constructing the environment to, yeah. to change that. And I think it's it's going back to the idea of that has to be made fun. As you describe it to me, I'm thinking, okay, if I'm teaching six to nine-year-olds, it's going to be kind of a skill and drill mentality. I know it's not delivered in that way. But we want to avoid those situations in PE. So it really has to be engaging and meaningful rather than putting them just through a bunch of skills, right? Absolutely. And I mean, traditionally, your strength and conditioning coach within this, this sport kind of sector would, uh, it, it, those types of things did come from a drill and, 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 and in terms of a, a drill pedagogy, so to speak, yeah. where you just line, line kids up against the wall or, and, or in lines and got them to, to monkey see, monkey do type stuff, um, which, which is boring. And we yeah. understand that. So, but, so what we're, we spend a lot of time is just developing environments where um, the, the fun remains. And a fun and enjoyment is a, is a completely different topic, but I think a particularly interesting one um, because in order to understand fun, You've got to dig into the into the, the theory behind what fun actually is, yeah. um, and, and you know that some of that stuff is real. It's it's founded in self determination theory yeah. um, and, and and achievement goal theory. Um, so and that can look different for one nine year old to the next based on 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 their background and, and their, their interests and all sorts of things. But at the end of the day, you know we know that a lot of what is fun is actually comes down to to a mastery involved learning climate which essentially is is the idea that kids are progressing um, they've got a little bit of choice in what they're doing uh, and they get to hang out with their mates so uh, if you can make sure that you're ticking all those boxes then sometimes repetition and sometimes what is more traditionally looked on as boring kind of stuff um, is not actually the case because because they can see the meaning behind what it is that you're actually doing. Yeah, and I think that's that's pivotal. Um, I think what you said, you know, there, that there's some choice there, and the inquiry-based model. You know, I'm I'm a teacher and educator from the uh, International Baccalaureate Organization, which is uh, an inquiry-based approach, right? So, sure. really, when it comes down to it, I've had this discussion with researchers and teachers is. Although it appears as though we're giving lots of choice, it's really perceived choice, you know? That That's right. We're, we're still basically telling them A, B, or C. But really, in, in some cases, there are some students that can have that blanket freedom. Some students can't even handle three choices. So you got to step in and use the direct instructional model, which has proven effective in, you know, most effective in certain situations with certain students in certain units. So again, it goes back to the idea of building relationships and knowing your students that I think is, is uh, pivotal in the process of good teaching. Um, if I was to transition over now, you've explained um, kind of the, the framework in which you deliver learning. Um, if we were to, if I was to ask you to, you've explained kind of the, the core fundamentals and principles that you, you value and that you, you teach. But how do you specifically apply these these fundamental principles in your own life, both personally and professionally? It's, it's a great question, Andrew. It's something that I that I constantly uh, are thinking about and and working towards and, and manipulating and trialing and, and failing. Uh, and I look at it in, in the, the different areas of my life too. And, and one of the so from a from a physical well-being point of view, and I'm a massive advocate of of exercise or, or movement every day. You know, I guess I'm one of the lucky ones because I I grew up in a in a family yeah, and in a in a social group that that movement and, and exercise was just part of what we did. That it became a habit really really early, and then I went into physical education study, uh, worked with a number of different athletes, both at, at the elite level and now at a, at a development level. And so I, 
I was just talking to someone about this the other day, and I think I could, I could count on one, you know, on, on, on two hands, you know, the amount of t- days that I've missed in the last year where I, where I haven't actually done some sort of movement. Um, and, and so for me, it's, it's making sure that um, I have, but I have the meaning behind that movement. And, and for me, in terms of my work, what I'm always looking for is to try new things and, and, and trial and particular exercises out that we that may work for some of our athletes. Um, and so most of my movement, I don't have a problem with motivation. Um, you know, it's, it's easy for me to get out and do something physical. Um, so most of the time I'm out there, I'll decide, okay, well, this is, this is a particular fundamental that I am wanting to learn more about. And then I will, I will decide on how I'm going to do that and work towards, um, work towards finding something out over, over a period of time. Um, and, and that's usually in some form of training or uh, some form of requiring a skill in a different way um, in terms of my exercise. So, so from that point of view, I think it's, it's a little bit different. Uh, but from a, from a professional point of view, um, for me it is it's establishing where exactly both personally and, and from a program point of view, we go, we're trying to go. And at, at that point for us, we, are, we have developed a number of different systems and, and we're still on a daily basis. You know, one of our programs, we, we name it our lab where we've got research going on and we're trialling and trialling new things all the time. So for me, it's taking that information from there and, and spreading the word. Uh, so so what the, the purpose of... of of what I do is actually spreading um, the new learnings that we that we've taken out of our environments into into others, um, but making sure I do that in a way that um, has has some sort of a progression to it. Um, and so it's it's taking those principles and it's having those clear in my mind, and then layering on top the the, the different levels based on the audience that I'm, I'm trying to share those ideas with um, so that's that's probably where I come from from, from that point of view and then family for me uh, is big uh, so I've got two two young kids um, so so it's you know it's, it's, it's one of my values uh, from a personal point of view yeah. so it's making sure that um, that I get that right um, and and contributing my time in a way where I'm uh, where I'm doing the things I want to do professionally, but also making sure that I'm, I'm at home and I'm spending some time with my kids. So, um, and that for me is, is the meaning side of it. It's the it's the it's the kind of why the why behind everything yeah. is is really important for me to work out. Um, and I've yeah, it's been a bit of a transition for me over the last little while. Is 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 working that out, and and I think I've, I've got to a point now where I've got I've got that pretty good, um, so it's um, and and a lot of that was uh, was actually saying no um, to a lot of the things that we were getting asked to do, um, because I think one of one of the interesting topics of conversation that we have now is, um, is is the young people that we deal with are doing so much, and not only that that are they they're asking to to achieve a particular standard of excellence and all of those things. Um, so not, I just had a conversation with a colleague not that long ago around the idea of strategic laziness, um, and, and basically it was it was the idea that they can't you can't be excellent, and you can't pursue excellence in everything. Um, so you've got to actually to learn to say no and, and make sure that what you are saying yes to is is really aligning to into the values that you have and the goals that you have, and and all these things I think can. You can operate them within student environments, and that's when we start getting some some purpose behind the things that we're we're asking for them to engage in, uh, and and that's for us sport is special uh, because it's it's pretty easy to do that, um, but but it's but at the same time it's very easy to forget why why the kids are there, um, and so we always have to remind ourselves well if if they're coming to our program. To develop in their physical and in their psychological areas, then at the end of the day, they're they're still they're still here because they love to play. Um, whether that's football or netball or rugby or BMX, 
um, that's that's the game, uh, and that's what they love. And so, any of the any of the learnings that we're that we're trying to impart, they need to be they need to have relevance to whatever it is the context that they're out there and doing. So, you know, I guess from a from a PE point of view, it's okay. Well, what are these what are these kids engaged in uh, outside of PE, and how can we make sure that the, the lessons that they're getting learned, you know, getting taught are, are, in, are tapping into those things um, because then it, then it becomes personal and then if you can see that, you know, by implementing a particular um, exercise regime or whatever the case may be, if that's going to contribute to to increasing the potential in an area that they're particularly engaged in, then it's much more likely to have success. Um, and so we can't we can't disalign any of these things with with why the students, you know, are there in the first place. Yeah, I think it's that idea too of you know what you're describing is, um, you know, the the values that you espouse in your program and that you embrace personally, um, like you said, are, are things that are going to impact you personally as well in your personal life and with your family. And you know, I'm a, a big believer in you know the self-determination theory and a lot of the work that I do is is based around the laws of human motivation and and I try to align myself with as much research and, and learning that I can in that area and a lot of it comes down to that idea of social mental and emotional well-being and these are values that we we really emphasize with our own children so I have a 10 and a 12 year old two boys and my wife is really into mindfulness, and mindfulness is all about personal, social, and, and uh, emotional well-being, as well as physical well-being. So it's like, you know, living, um, living out these values personally and, and professionally, and I think that's what, what you described there. Um, so I had you listen to this audio clip in the pre-show, and it's all uh, kind of related to the, the meaning of, of work. So um, I'm going to have you listen to it again. So to give people some background, this um, audio clip is from the TED Radio Hour. Uh, the host of the, the show, Guy Raz, can be found on Twitter um, under the username at Guy Raz, G-U-Y-R-A-Z. Uh, it's a fantastic podcast. Um, in this particular podcast, it was uh, entitled The Meaning of Work. And the researcher that you're going to listen to right now, her name is Margaret Heffernan. She's a consultant and researcher, and she goes into uh, firms and organizations, and she really gets them to um, deconstruct their own levels of productivity and to try to enhance productivity through different strategies and approaches. So the clip you're going to hear, Craig, is from Margaret, and it's all about the meaning of work. So as you listen to it, I want you to think about what resonates with you personally and professionally with the work that you do, okay? Yeah? Yeah, yeah, let's go. Okay, so I'm going to play it. Well, I think that's true. I think, you know, you need that great connectedness between people. But I'm also really struck, again, you know, the large number of companies I work with, and I'll say, you know, what's the driving goal here? And they'll say, $60 billion revenue next year. And I look at them and I say, you have got to be joking. What on earth makes you think? that everybody's really going to give it their all to hit a revenue target. You know, you have to talk to something much deeper inside people than that. You have to talk to people about something that makes a difference to them every day if you want them to bring their best and do their best and feel that you've given them the opportunity to do the best work they've ever done. That uh, clip really means a lot to me because that, that in a nutshell, is, is all about what I try to bring teachers when I do my consulting. And, and it's, it's really about the teacher first. And, and as much as we are blasted and bombarded um, with messages from administrators that everything we do is about the students and student learning, I disagree. And I use the oxygen mask analogy, you know, when, when they're on the... the you're ready to take off. The flight attendant goes through the whole ritual of talking about that uh, moment that if the plane goes down and, and crashes or the oxygen masks falls from above, you better put it on yourself first 
before putting it on the, the child next to you or the person next to you. So, you know, that's what kind of resonates with me is like, you know, administrators need to have more, uh, I guess, deeper discussions with teachers about why it is they do what they do. And uh, we have to have these same discussions with colleagues and we have to have these discussions with students. So it's applicable to both teacher and student learning. But what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I agree 100%. And for us, it's about the athlete. It has to be athlete. It has to be an athlete first philosophy. Um, where, at the end of the day, it's the reasons that they are they are there are everything. And so we need to understand what they are, and that varies from from athlete to athlete. And it's 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 made up. We have one. We we coined a term readiness to train, and it's you know basically it's. It's understanding your athletes before you actually say anything. Um, so the first thing we do is, is is develop, you know, some some rapport with which which is nothing new, you know, in, in any sort of relationship. But but sometimes it's very easy to forget that um, without doing that first, then it, you just you don't have uh, the knowledge or the understanding of the individual to actually layer anything on top of that. Um, and so you, you can't just can't be wor- worried about your content before you understand your athlete and, and before you can you can paint a bit of a picture to this is where they are now this is all of the all of the baggage that they've brought um, to, you know to the to the floor and and this is where they're wanting to go and that doesn't need to be five years down the track that can that can be you know if it's a Monday morning at training that can just be as far out as Saturday um, but there, you need to have some perspective over that uh, where, where they're wanting to go and then you can and then and then our the purpose of of our programs and the coaches within it is, is to answer the question okay well how can they best get there um, and and all the lessons they learn along the way we we hope can be transitioned into all the different areas um, of their lives and so it's it's understanding that and it very much is for a coach um, and, and if you you in, in choose to engage in, in the in the coaching career, um, you know within our country at least, there's very few positions that um, that demand any type of, 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 of big salary. And so it's it's about the love for the game, just as you know for the coach, just as much as it is for the athlete. So if you haven't figured that out, and if you don't know how to satisfy intrinsically the things. That, that motivate you to get up every morning and inspire, which is essentially what we're trying to do. Um, then you just don't last. You know, at some point you pull the pin and you you go and do something else because Absolutely. because that's what it's about. I, I've challenged teachers before in, in my workshops, and I and I don't say this in a rude way or disrespectful way, but I, I say if if you don't have that level of emotional engagement. And love and passion for what you do, you, you are. It's a disservice to your colleagues and and the students that you teach, and 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 maybe you need to begin to think about a different profession. Um, and that's not. It's just a reality check. But um, I I think you know one of the things uh, that is really important to me and, and a good friend of mine. Uh, you know when I give my keynote speeches. I have a, a handful of go-to people that I, I hit up and I'll buy them wine and pizza and they come over and, and then I go through my keynote speech and I always ask for feedback and I get these great suggestions. So it really helps me to become a better speaker um, and to present better, uh, I guess, more quality keynote speeches. But my one friend said, um, made a great point and I was trying to hit upon this point but I couldn't articulate it. He helped me articulate it when, when he said, um, the idea of the the students that we we serve that, that we teach they may not blossom under our care well under our care right but we serve them best by remembering that they one day will blossom and that might be years down the road but but it's so easy to kind of give up hope in some students but when we remember the impact that we can have you suddenly become very mindful of pre- and present uh, of that reality that they might not blossom when they're with us but if we continue to serve them um, understanding that they will blossom one day then we're doing the ultimate service for them 
Yeah, absolutely agree. And it's, it's the same in the environment that, that we work in. Uh, and it's, it's at the heart of, of good good coaching in the in the adolescent space is, um, is you know, the understanding that that's your job. Um, and your job is not not to hold on to them for too long. It's just to, to intervene at the particular level they're at. Um, it's, it's to have an impact. And, and then they go on and they, they, they step out of, of what we do for them uh, and they step into something else. And, and hopefully the lessons along the way that they've learnt um, you know, can be applied in, in whatever it is that they, they choose to do. Uh, so it is, it's very much for the athletes and, and getting that right is crucial. So let's go back to athlete. So when you say athlete, you mean student. <laughs> yeah, that's right? right. And when you say yeah, coach, yeah, sorry, when you, sorry, no, no, that's okay. Time. I just want to it's clarify to that. Speak. I want to clarify that because I know that's what you mean, but I don't want people listening to this think that you are purely talking athletics and sports. So, you know, it, it's about it's about the student and the teacher. So that's because of the program you run, they're considered athletes and coaches, but really at the end of the day, it's student and teacher. So I just wanted to emphasize that. We're going to transition over to the last part of the podcast here where I put my uh, guests in the hot seat. Awesome. Okay, let's hit me. Hit me with it. Okay. So I'll go back to what I've learned um, and what, what I, the big ideas I've been able to draw out of my own podcast with the guests. So you will be, um, I think you're the 20th or 25th guest that I've had on my podcast. And I want to return back to the core fundamental values that all of my guests kind of hit upon. They might not word it in, a, in this specific way, but it's these general three themes which is constantly being inspired, surrounding yourself with greatness, and having mentors. Um, so those are the, the big ideas that all my, my guests really, um, I think, that really drives them. So I'm going to ask you to identify in your own life your sources of inspiration, both inside and outside of education. What are they? In- inspiration for me is, is pretty close to home. Uh, so, inspired by my wife, uh, she is she's a netballer. Uh, so she plays at the top level, and and a lot of my learnings has have come from deconstructing training sessions and games, and you know when times have gone well and, and when they haven't. Uh, so, and, and we work. I mean, she's she's at the highest level, but there's a number of um, of athletes that have that have been within the circle she's been involved in, where they may be. Not at not at um, you know the youth ages, but they're still development athletes, and so and some of the lessons really apply um, regardless of age. So so that's been um, incredible, the learning, and, and I get inspired by by her every day, and and then another family member too, actually my brother who who's in the uh, the psychological space, um, so he's been most of his, up until this point, most of his time within the armed forces. Uh, so, so he dealt with a lot, uh, you know, some of the, the top the top officers and whatnot that are going out on deployments and then he worked to, to debrief them when they'd come back, not only in that space but also around uh, organisational psychology and, and how you can get a team to work effectively. So those co- conversations are, uh, are always inspiring and interesting for me and so many parallels between between the armed forces and, and high performance and, and athlete development, so so that's been great. Um, and sorry, what was inspiration? What yeah, were you, what inspiration. Both. Oh, okay, the other ones. So uh, let's go to surrounding yourself with greatness. Yeah, so that's a. I think that's a. It's a constant kind of work on. Um, so it's really sourcing those people out and. Putting a, a concerted effort into making sure that I'm spending the time in and around them, um, and for me, it's not just within sport, but it's also outside of it. Um, so looking at um, a Dumbru, and, and those vary. I mean, I've worked with a with one mentor for a while, and he was he came from a, a, a commercial kind of gym space, so that was really interesting around motivational work. With people in the in the exercise industry, so that was great to, to learn some lessons from him and then and then apply them to a into a more athletic population. Uh, so that was great. And the, the last and then, 
The last one is mentors. So immediate mentors in your life. Yeah, right, right now I don't, I'm not working with anyone in particular. Um, so I sort of transitioned out of, out of working with someone a few months ago and, and currently just deciding exactly where I need to go to find um, that next person. Yeah. Uh, but a couple of those, a couple of, I'm currently working in a program uh, at a local school around within their hockey program, um, and so looking to looking for uh, for mentors and almost indirect mentors around um, some of the key people from a from an administrative and from a and also from a parenting point of view. Um, so how they how they're operating uh, within their environments and how I can learn from those and link into. Um, link that back into our programs to make sure that we're always thinking about the different stakeholders within within the environments that, that we work in. So it's not just the athlete and the coach, it's also the parent, uh, the teacher, the you know, the administrator or the lead of the sports program within the school. And all the, all those people have a huge impact. So so making sure that I'm I'm aligning myself with with at least one or two of those people to make sure that I'm learning from them is yeah. important. Which is uh, part of having that social support network for sure. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So uh, that pretty much wraps up the show, Craig. I want to thank you for your time. Where can people find you on Twitter? Sure, I'm at Dr. Craig Harrison on Twitter. Uh, so that's the best place to find me. If you want to jump on Facebook, then you can facebook.com uh, forward slash athlete development. Uh, so that's the, that's our program. We uh, that's we're quite active on there. So we're always we've also got videos and blogs and all sorts of things that we're pushing out. Uh, so that's a great way just to see some of the key themes and come up, the key activities that we're up to. Um, so those those probably are the two main places that you can catch up with me. Okay, and I'll include that in the show notes. So uh, just stay on the line here. I'm just going to finish up the. Um the recording here but um, yeah so thanks for for being a part of the the show and it was great to have a a discussion with you Uh, I want to thank everybody for listening and I hope you come back and listen to future episodes thanks for listening to the Run Your Life podcast by Andy Bassett to check out show notes get some more information about Andy as well as his guests head to our website 21clradio.com dot com.